Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to XYZ, the podcast about CNC, automation, technology, and more, whatever we can think of. My name's Aaron Goff, and I'm also joined by the lovely Craig of Chop Knives. How are you, mate? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I think doing the same as every other maker out there at the moment of getting things out quickly um, so you can have a, a relaxing Christmas. Um, right. but, but yeah, good. And I, I'd imagine you're doing exactly the same there. Yes, yeah, it's uh, an investment in relaxation. Uh, ah, yeah. I'm, I'm not relaxing now, so I can relax later, hopefully. That's the thing, yeah. yeah. We're at, I'm actually going back to the UK for Christmas, so that means an overnight drive on Friday with two um, two-year-olds in the back. Um, so, so, yeah, I have to relax as much as I can before then because it's it's going to be a hell of a journey. <laughs> right. Yeah. And they're, they're twins, your girls. They're twins, yes, yes. That's um, especially difficult. Yeah, and you'd never think so. They they are literally chalk and cheese. Oh, one really? has got all my genes, and one has got all of my wife's genes, and they're, they're, there's no similarity between the two of them. It's spooky, spooky. <laughs> so, what have you been up to since we spoke last week? Oh, mate, honestly, just just crushing it on uh, on making knives. I've just been. Um... Getting lots of blades coming back from DLC coating at the moment, the diamond mm. coating that I use on my knife. Um, How has that worked out this time? Much better. Yeah, there's good, been good. a couple of couple of little issues here and there. I think they've had some... Um, uh, so when the material builds up on the fixtures over time, um, mm. it, it tends to spall off because um, the the tension in the material builds up and builds up until it, it kind of chips off the, the fixtures. Right. Um, and I think they've had, uh, you know, some little spots of that falling onto a couple of my knives. Um, so, like, on the butt areas of the knives that are on the top during the coating process, there's been a couple of, like, little spots. But, you know what, man, I'll take it. Like, if I have to deal with, like, 5% rejects or something, I think in this case it's probably closer to 10%. That that's better than like a hundred percent. Yeah, that's got to be that's soul destroying because obviously you're doing all the work up front. I'd, I'd imagine they're hand sanded, they're completely degreased, they're ready to go. Yeah, and that's one of the last things before sharpening, I assume. Yeah, it's it's like the absolute last thing before oh. assembly. So yeah, before that, it's you know machining, heat treatment, hand sanding, 
uh, tumbling, you know, blasting, inspection, all of that kind of stuff. The the good side is that um, they can just be blasted again and then and then sent back for another shot at the coding. Right. Okay. Um, That's just all isn't lost then at least. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not making scrap. It's just you know, one more cycle through. It, yeah. It, it's definitely a bit painful, but like. What are you going to do, man? Yeah, there's going to be rejects. And yeah, yeah. yeah. What about you? Um, well, as I just said, really, I'm, I'm just trying to get a few extra little things out the door before Christmas. Um, I'm heading back to the UK, so a few people in the UK have contacted me to say, have you got anything available? So I'm like, well, I, can, I can do bring, a couple of little things. Bring knives with me. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I, I can't rely on shipping. <laughs> it's way too late for that. Um, but I, I had a nightmare yesterday, actually, and it's a question that I want to put to you later in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I'm using Corby bolts to attach handles, which I know you are too. Yes. Um, stupidly, I didn't dry fit these. So I had five knives exactly the same, drilled up, and I use a step fit for the Corby bolts. Um, glued up, um, put the bolts in, and <laughs> I, I just couldn't turn these bolts. They were in so, oh. so tight. Um and I know what the issue is. I think the um, the step bit that I was using, because it's drilling through G10, over time it'll wear down. Just worn down. down. Yeah, yeah, the hole's got that little bit smaller and to the point where you can no longer turn these things. So I'm using 20-minute epoxy, and I'm like, right, I've got these five knives, <laughs> and they've all been <laughs> glued up. Like, problem. Exactly. Oh, and then I'm like, wow. So, yeah, I'm trying to get these things prized back open, hammer out the bolts, um, re-drill a hole whilst trying to keep everything as clean as possible. I had epoxy in my hair. <laughs> it was just everywhere, and I hate that. And normally I'm so methodical with a glue-up. I do make sure I do a dry fit and everything's at hand. Um, but this, everything went out the window, and it was just panic stations. My oh, drill press bastard. just has epoxy all over the table now, and it's just it's the worst thing. Oh, God. But, yeah, managed to do it. But, yeah, so that's what happened. I think the, the, the step bit has, has worn down enough that this hole is just that tiny bit smaller. Right. Um, so that's a question for later, actually. When we, we I want to talk about sort of bits and... Um, end melts, that kind of thing, with regards to uh, coatings and what to use, what material, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You're going to have PTSD now. You're going to wake up at night going, the epoxy, it's everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, I've still got it on my hands now, and it's the worst. Uh, worst You don't wear gloves when you're working with epoxy, man? Well, I do, but in this case, because everything went out the window, Mm. it was a case that they had to go back onto the drill press and all the rest, and I'm like, I just ripped these gloves off because they'd ripped, they'd torn, and it was... (laughs) It was everywhere. I had it on my nose. I obviously scratched my nose at some point, which I hadn't realized. And, uh, and it's not like super... I love super glue because when that dries, it always reminds me of being a kid in school, you know, when you had the uh, that, that, that water-based paint, that glue that you could peel off. And I like doing that with super glue and biting it off my fingers weirdly. But with epoxy, it doesn't. It just leaves this horrible black stain that'll come off eventually. You're a weird <laughs> dude, Greg. <sighs> yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're not the first person to say it. <laughs> But we got some really exciting news for the show. Really exciting news. What's that? Calm down, people. Um, we've got an Instagram account. Oh, I saw now, this. Now people it, can slide into our DMs in three places. Exactly. And it's, it's taken me about 10 or 15 shots to get a name because XYZ mm. podcast had gone. XYZ show had gone. Um, so in the end, we ended up with XYZ.cnc, which isn't too bad, I think. Um, so you can you can follow us on Instagram at xyz.cnc. I can't see we'll be posting much, um, but it might be a good sort of vehicle for you guys if anybody has questions or um, 
points that they'd like us to chat about, I suppose, they can reach us at, mm-hmm. at there, which is uh, xyz.cnc. I might have some fun with it. I tend to keep my personal Instagram pretty serious, so maybe mm. I'll just shitpost on that one. Yeah, yeah, why yeah. not? <laughs> so it's worth following just to see what Aaron's going to post. Just there be 100% CNC memes or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, we, we did, um, I did put up one little question yesterday just to, just to test it and make sure that, you, you know, Instagram was working because Google wasn't working yesterday for some time. And um, I thought, well, let's just check. And um, we did ask a question, which was, um, what dumb things would you like to automate? And this was quite mm. late last night. And we've only had, we've had one response, one response from the, from the king of podcasting himself, Jeff Vader things that he'd like to automate and he said emails yeah nobody likes emails taking out the garbage definitely automate that shit mm-hmm. and hand sanding yeah the hand sanding one i think we talked about that a little while ago right i think so yeah yeah um and <laughs> again this is me just drilling you with questions but um i noticed in your video when you're hand sanding you're using the stones now rather than a paper Mm-hmm. Now, is the abrasive bound to those stones in in any sort of way? Because you were using almost like a pencil and using the um, the the end to do the sanding. Could you, with let's say a chef knife, which has you know a longer distance from spine to heel, could you use the the stone lengthways so you're having the whole width of the blade per stroke? I'm wondering. You could, yes, um, uh-uh. but. That means that your pressure is lower because, you know, you are only able to exert a certain amount of force and yeah. the, the larger the area that's spread over, the, the lower the pressure per square inch, right? So that means that the abrasive is going to cut slower. Gotcha. So I'm not sure that it would be a net gain. Okay, okay. Um, maybe for maybe sort of finishing strokes, maybe. It could... Maybe, mm. yeah. I mean, it's worth trying. I'll never, yeah. never say no to trying stuff. So just for those that may not be familiar, what Craig's talking about are mold polishing stones. So these are traditionally used by um, guys that are hand finishing injection molds. So we can bring it full circle around from knife making back to CNC. Um, so, you know, injection molds are, are um, you know, w- we think of as knife makers, we think of ourselves as being like pretty, pretty good at hand finishing, like, Nah, not not in comparison to the, <laughs> these guys. Like these guys are, are nuts. You know, imagine having a a mold of like a toothbrush. You know, the the inverse of a toothbrush, and you have to mirror finish every single part of it. You know, every little slot, every little tiny detail has to be mirror finished without changing the dimensions of the mold. Oh, like, geez, that's no fun. Yeah. So yeah, th- those guys really know what they're on about. Um. And out of that came these these mold polishing stones, which are kind of like sharpening stones. So they're just like abrasive grains. Um, abrasive grains. Well, I'm like that kid off uh, The Simpsons. Um, <laughs> the voice is cracking. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they're just abrasive grains bound together by resin. So as the the grains dull, the the pressure on the grain increases, and then they get torn out of the resin to expose fresh grains. Um. And and honestly, they're kind of confusing. So Jeff actually sent me a bunch of questions about um, mold polishing stones last night. I think he's gonna I think he's gonna try them. Hmm. I've yeah. ordered some myself too, so I'm, I'm looking forward to trying them. But, yeah. Did you order the right ones though? 
I don't know. Yeah. Don't know. Probably not. Probably so that's not. the problem is like, you know, I even tried a couple of types before I found the ones that I use now. And I was like, these things suck, hmm. you know, because if you get um, the, the, there's different types of abrasive, there's ceramic, aluminum oxide, silicon carbide. Um, and they have some diamond ones and, you know, so on. And then there's different types of resins as well. And so what you end up with is that stones uh, either wear quickly or slowly. And you would think that wearing slowly would be a good thing, but it actually means that they don't cut very fast. So you have to find a stone that wears kind of quickly with the material that you're, you're sanding so that it, um, you know, is exposing fresh abrasive and cutting quickly. Yes, yeah. So there's like 50 different types of stones. It's super oh, wow. confusing. Yeah. These were basically a knife maker's kit. So, mm. yeah, uh, God knows what will be in that kit. And and also how long it will take to get to me because <laughs> nothing's getting to me at the moment. So on the notes, we also have an update on my CNC, whether that's come yet. And I can Ooh. tell you, no, it hasn't. Oh. So I'm still waiting on that too. I'm waiting, Craig. Yeah, it's I, it's going to be the new year now because I'm not going to be here anyway. So um, right. what I don't want to happen is for them to try and uh, deliver whilst I'm not here because we're gone for 10 days. I was just about to say that. The and, minute yeah. you leave, yeah, it's going to show up at your front door. Because I think the carriers here, it's 10 days before they return. So I've got 10 days mm. to pick up from the office if if if, if, it, <laughs> if it doesn't come. So yeah, the minute I leave, there'll be a knock on the door. Nobody there. 10 days later, they'll ship it back to China. I Perfect. can see it coming. Can see it coming. Well, you said you had a bit of buyer's remorse anyway, so maybe you should just let that happen. Possibly, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the buyer's remorse. Um, that's classic with me, that. Um, <laughs> realize that I, I, I need, I not want something, I need something. Um, so I do a, you know, a hurried, uh, hurriedly sort of looking around to see what's available, order something, then get deeper and deeper into it to realize, ah, maybe something would be, something else would be better. Um, and I've been. We did. We talked about it very briefly last week at the the Onefinity um, CNC router. Yeah. Um, and I've been watching a lot of videos of of them, um, and they that I think would have been a better purchase. Um, in the in the same sort of ballpark price for um, what I did buy, um, but this thing just seems a lot more, let's say, beefy. Um, there's videos of people, you know, standing on the rails, and there's no, you know, they're not bending in any way, and that they just seem really good. <laughs> Why but, are um, people doing that? Sorry. Why are people doing that? I think just to show the strength, maybe. I, I don't know. It's it's maybe a marketing thing, but um, yeah, yeah, it certainly does seem a lot stronger. Um, but it got me thinking, and I sent you a question in the week, actually, an email in the week, saying, I mean, I'm about to move to a new shop as well soon. Um, so I'll be, I'll be thinking, you know, where things are going to go, that kind of thing already, and planning things in my head. And I'm thinking, a, a CNC, I mean, I for what I'm going to use it for, it needs to be pretty small because I'll be cutting G10 sheets. Um, they're not massive, massive sheets. It, it doesn't yeah. need to be big. Um, but then I'm thinking, well, why not get something bigger? Because the price, I mean, the electronics and the motors are pretty much the same. It's only the rails that are bigger. So you might as well get something bigger because the price isn't that much of a difference. But then it comes down to space. So I was thinking, why couldn't a CNC be mounted to a to a wall? So rather than on a flat surface such as a desktop, if it's mounted to a wall, um, and what got me thinking about this is you go into the big sort of um, DIY places, the big DIY stores. If mm. you buy a sheet of material, they've generally got these saws that are you know on the wall. They put up in a rack and they just cut whilst it's on the wall. So it's all it takes very little space. 
Um, and I was thinking, well, why couldn't a CNC do that? Because, you know, the, the, the motors should be pretty beefy anyway. Um, it should be able to take any any weight. Um, so we had a little bit of a conversation about that, didn't we? Yeah, and I, I have actually wondered about that in the past. And honestly, like, I don't see any reason why you couldn't do it. Mm. Um, it, Like, you know, chip evacuation would be a lot better. You know, yeah. you, could, you could have like a, a, a collection pan underneath and, you know, the heavy chips would just fall down. Exactly. And with regards to, you know, having, you know, dust collection, that kind of thing, obviously the chips are falling, as you've said, but it'd be easy to just put one, you know, big sort of perspex screen in front of it. So you've got, you've got full visibility to see everything perfectly. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you could seal it up and get a, like a vac in there very simply. Hmm, I wonder if people have done that. Um, I the, will do some digging. Yeah, the one thing that comes to mind in terms of difficulty um, is that you would have a bit of a harder time replacing tools because the, the collet for the, the spindle is going to be kind of pointing at the wall. Yes, and you don't get much of a Z-axis to pull it up, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. So I think that might be a bit of a pain in the ass, but um, you know what would fix that? It would be having a tool changer. It would. Yes. Um, yeah. If I... only you could get a, a reasonably small and affordable CNC machine <laughs> with a tool changer. Somebody should work on that, definitely. Yeah, seriously, right? <laughs> Not like I don't... I was talking to my buddy Mike about another idea the other day, and he was like... Is that Mike the pervert who requests um, <laughs> dirty pictures of us? Is that the same Mike? <laughs> that's Yeah, that's right. He really likes you, Craig. <laughs> that's the baguette. Um <laughs> Yeah, you know, like I, he was like, "Don't, don't you have enough to do?" I was just like, "Fuck, oh, yeah, I need a clone." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, we've mentioned our um Instagram account, mm-hmm. um, and you also sent me a message this week about a message. Well, not a message, but um, somebody's post that you'd see on Instagram. Oh, yeah, you're gonna rile me up, Craig. Well, I. Uh... You brought it up. You were the one who sent the message. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this, this fucking guy. Um, you know, I, honestly, like, I, I lost a lot of productivity on Friday because I was just so amped up about this. Raging. Yeah, I was throwing things. No, I wasn't. I was, yeah, I was I was pissed, though, honestly. Like, so I, I woke up, um, you know, and, and I kind of had a, a sleep in. It was a nice Friday because I just worked super late the night before. Mm. Um check my instagram and there's a a post from a maker that i really like um he does really good stuff and in the the comments on that someone was just sledging him um and not for any good reason either just being like i don't want to go through the whole thing but you know he Mm. he starts off being like bro if you can't make two parts the same you know get a new cnc and like that's that's marginal like that's not the worst thing ever you know but then he Someone else calls him out and is like, you know, like he's trying to, the maker's trying to do something really good here. And then we'll call him the asshole. The asshole comes back and is just like, um, you know, no, he's just pretending that things are hard so he can charge his customers more. And, Ugh. you know, and then, you know, someone else steps in to defend the maker and the asshole starts throwing around, um, you know, talking shit about people's sexual preferences and like, oh, just, yeah, just going full on dumpster fire you know and i i just i can't i can't understand the mindset of someone that would would do this you know i think it's trying to bolster their own ego i think i think that's what it is yeah. people who 
putting other people down think it raises them up maybe uh, it's not a mindset that i sort of agree with but i can yeah it's just bizarre bizarre yeah you know and i don't generally talk shit about people but like but yeah, this guy this guy's an <laughs> asshole <laughs> <laughs> like i i try to stay away from that like, it's just worth not not worth the energy you know but like when when someone's going out of their way to post on another maker's hmm um you know and this it, was public too it wasn't a dm was it this was public yeah this is public and this guy you know so the asshole is also a maker you know mm. um and and yeah he's, he's going on to somebody else's page and and talking shit about them like no need this yeah yeah it, in my mind just you know in my mind if you're not helping build people up you're nothing you're, yeah. you're a waste of space What's the point? Yeah. yeah. And and I think, you know, we're, we're so lucky we've got these tools where we we can, you know, share our work and, you know, people can be encouraging that kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, 99.9% .9 of people who I sort of engage with online are generally supportive of each other, you know? and But, yeah, yeah you get the one and sours the whole thing. Yeah, and that maker did, you know, so I, I, I've talked to him on many occasions and he did say to me, like, do you, do you get haters? Do you get people that are like, you know, talking shit about you. And yeah, unfortunately the answer is yes. You know, all the time on my YouTube channel and stuff, people are like, oh, you know, does, you're just pressing a button. It doesn't take any skill to make anything with CNC. Um, yeah, someone, someone in that comment thread actually said a really good thing there. Just like anyone that says that is just like illustrating their, their lack of knowledge. Yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. 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 Oh, God damn it. Now I'm all riled up again. <laughs> T tell me about... We started last week. You were telling me about um, a, a water jet because I was mentioning that I, I'm getting stuff water jet cut out for my next batch yeah. of knives. And you were telling me about um, a water jet guided laser. Yeah, should what we roll this into some engineering news? I think so, Let's yeah. Let's do that as the yeah. first one. Yeah, so um, I saw this thing and apparently it's been around for a while, but I've never heard of it. And it's by far the coolest machining process that I've seen in a really long time. So, yeah, if we, if we take one step back and talk about lasers for a second, um, the problem with lasers is focus. Mm. Um, you know, you're, we imagine a laser beam as being like a perfectly straight beam that disappears off into the universe, you know, but it's, it's not. It's, it's kind of like a cone. And it has a single point where the laser is really well focused. And then everything above and below that, that focus point, the laser is diverging. It's getting bigger. It's not well focused. Yeah. It's kind of like a, a magnifying glass in the sun. Yeah, exactly. Whereas, you know, as a kid who used to burn leaves and you're trying to get the focus, you know, exactly right. Yeah. Um, it's pretty much the same with, with the laser I've got here, the, the fiber laser when I'm marking knives. It's yeah, you have to be really thing. careful about your distance, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, so the problem with, with that divergence of the laser is that when you're trying to cut thick materials, like let's say you're trying to cut, you know, half-inch steel plate, the, the laser will be focused right in the center of that plate perfectly. But everywhere else in that plate, the laser is not focused as well as it could be. And that means that you're, like with a laser, ideally you want to vaporize material. You're not melting it. You're just instantly turning it into a vapor and then you're blowing it out of the cut, you know? But when the laser isn't perfectly focused, you're, you're melting the material. And so that means with, when you're cutting thicker materials in particular, you get lots of like slag uh, stuck to the bottom of the, the plate um, and the walls of your cut will be tapered um, because the, the materials, you know, it's not a really tiny little spot that's getting heated. It's a, it's a larger 
spot. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it also means that your your tolerances are kind of crap. You know, I, I'm sure that you've used water jet and laser to have knives cut out. You know, what what yes, did you yeah. think of the the tolerances involved in that? Um, I mean, uh, what I do uh, that's the only CNC process. You know, up till now. Right. Um, so everything else afterwards is is hand done. So there's a. The, if a tolerance is slightly out, yeah, I'm not really going to notice. Gotcha. Um, but but I have found that um, the the water jet stuff that I've had done it does seem to have um, slightly better tolerances than the laser stuff, hmm. um, and obviously cleaner edges as well. Interesting. My experience has been the opposite. Really? Yeah. Ah. In in thin stuff, at least. But... Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. It... You know, the whole issue with lasers being focus, you know, you try to think about other ways that you could get a laser into the material, you know, and one of the things that we use to, to guide lasers around is fiber optics. Mm. So a fiber optic is just a little tube of glass and the laser basically bounces inside that, that glass like it's a tube of mirrors. Um, you know, and this is caused by diffraction, the difference of the index of refraction of the glass. Um, but you can't put a fiber optic into your steel sheet. That's you know not going to work. So these crazy bastards have um, used a water jet as a fiber optic. So it shields the laser. Is that right? So the laser's in. Yeah. So they're they're you know they they're creating this high pressure jet of water that's very very fine. And the because of the characteristics of that, you know, the jet of water can be. 10 inches long like if you just have it in air and it, it's perfect it's the exact same size all the way along hmm. and then they're bouncing they have like a special assembly that actually in like inserts the laser beam inside this jet of water and uses it like a fiber optic wow yeah so they're they're showing you know cutting through a piece of material that's like two inches thick perfectly straight with with you know like the two pieces fit back together um and yeah it's just the the coolest process that i've seen in a while and it so rather than with a a traditional laser cutter you're kind of moving i say slowly they're they're pretty fast but you know you're you're taking one cut and cutting through the material in one shot Hmm. this this one um is kind of like a marking laser kind of like your laser it actually scans over the area multiple times Hmm, um and removes a little bit of material with each pass and so the combination of that that kind of moving beam and the water being in the cut all the time means that there's also basically no heat. Mm. So yeah, no burn marks at all. Yeah, and no wow. no burr on the bottom either. Like it it looks kind of like it's been water jet, but there's no taper. The tolerances are way way tighter. Um, yeah, man, I want one. Yeah. Well. Well, maybe one day they'll filter down to become sort of desktop machines. You know, we're seeing a lot of that with with various machines. And I mean, yeah. water jets. There's a desktop water jet cutter, yes. um, which is the the Wazer. And again, we spoke very very briefly last week about this. Um, so, Wazer, I think they had like a Kickstarter campaign um, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I think that's how it started. Um, and basically, it's a it's a desktop machine. Um, it looks like one of those sort of K forty lasers, that sort of size. You know, those, those cheap Chinese, um, you know, cheap CRT Chinese lasers, lasers basically. Yeah. yeah. And um, but yeah, it uses garnet and high pressure water. Um, garnet being the abrasive to um, to cut out steel. 
or you know many other things glass and stuff that they, the, the website claim theoretically yes the website claims that it does all this crazy stuff um i know a few people who, who have one they were given one as sort of a, you know better beta testers of them mm. um i think if you're doing one-off sort of arty pieces or you're making prototypes or jigs maybe it could be good fun but um certainly for production it's it wouldn't be cheap um mm. Now the the machine itself is, I, I don't know, probably about three or four grand. So you know, like most things, not cheap anyway. Um, but this thing relies on the uh, the garnet being the main abrasive to cut through. So if you if you imagine this 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 jet of water being filled with this garnet as well, um, and that's what you know makes the abrasion through the material. Now, yeah, because just, the... sorry, just for people that aren't familiar, garnet's just a very cheap form of abrasive. It's like a natural stone that they dig up and. Yeah. smash it it looks like sand it's yeah. it, it's that kind of thing um but because the water jet isn't that uh powerful it uses a lot of uh of garnet right so if you can imagine a uh let's look like a router bit um if the router bit's going slow it, it'll cut slower but you're not losing anything during this time you know you, there's no other there's no other there's no garnet, for example, that's been sprayed at the same time. Right. Now, with this, because it is so low-powered, it just blasts out this garnet as much as it can, so it's not very effective. Um, so the, on the website, they've actually got some demonstrations of cost, of what things would, would cut to cost. Um, what Sorry, would cost to cut. Um, <laughs> so they've got, they've got a kitchen knife there as one of the examples, mm. and they say around about $60 to cut out one <laughs> kitchen knife. Wow. So, <laughs> okay. So yeah, I think if you're making a prototype or or maybe tools, maybe they they could work because you, know, you can right. do it in house. You can do it, you know, very quickly. Well, I say very quickly, probably overnight. Um, but you'd have something there in the morning without having to rely on an out an outsider. But um, yeah, it's not not cheap. Um, yeah, and and, and and I mean to be clear, that's that's not really an, a problem that's just the Wazer. Like, water jets, mm. you know, so I spend a lot of time talking with people on the Practical Machinist forum, and every time someone brings up water jet, they're like, oh, God, look at the ongoing costs. Mm. You know, yeah. apparently a water jet is, like, by far the most expensive machine to maintain and keep running. Because, um, like, the, the commercial ones, you're talking about, like, 60,000 PSI of water mixed with abrasive inside a machine that has to like keep functioning mm, yeah it's a lot of pressure there yeah yeah and 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 the abrasive like uh, you know so apparently like the you have to rebuild these things like if you're using them a lot you might be rebuilding parts of the machine every month oh jeez. um and mm. not with cheap bits you know like you're not putting like cheap replacement parts into it it's like really specialized stuff yeah so whereas you know when i first saw the ways that i was like Man, this is the dream. This is amazing. Right. I, I can, you know, two uh, D CAD, a, you know, a design of a knife and and just cut it out. Yeah, it it really wouldn't work in production because right. because of the costs. Um, and you know, it's, it that's probably the only thing that I'm outsourcing now as well with regards mm. to you know the work that I'm doing is getting you know um, profiles cut out. Um, yeah. And I've you know I've looked at ways of you know people are using CNC plasma cutters. But I've seen some of the finishes on that. It's it's it needs a lot of work afterwards being cut. And yeah, and you've got a the, big heat affected zone, and you need a big air compressor to run a, a 
plasma cutter as well. Yeah, and I think by the time you do the clear up and everything else, is is it really worth it? And you know, extra normalizing and all the rest. It's, it it just seems as if it wouldn't speed things up in any way. Right. Um, and then there's the Wayser, which yeah, very expensive. So and the only the only thing really is to have a massive extra barn built at the house with a £150,000 laser there to do it all myself. Right. Maybe one day. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I... Sorry, as if I don't have enough stuff to do, but I was looking at the patents for the water jet guided laser. And, like you do. Like you do. As you do. And um, honestly, it's not very complicated. Um, you know, so I do kind of wonder whether you could get, like, a, a cheap Chinese fiber laser assembly. You know, so I looked them up on AliExpress, as I do, you know. Mm. And uh, getting, like, a, a 30-watt fiber laser is, you know, so that's not, that'd be slow. Like, 30 yeah. watts isn't a lot for cutting power. But, you know, it's, like, a 1,000 bucks for... Yeah. Well, my fiber laser is a 50-watt, mm-hmm. um, and it would take forever, and it would burn, <laughs> too. It would burn, like, crazy. Yeah. you turn the speeds right down and the power right down, and then it would, it, yeah, you, you're probably talking, you know, multiple days to cut out one knife. Right. It it's, wouldn't work. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It sounds like fun, though. It does, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I suppose the only other option then is a, you know, a mill, you know, a bit like the kind of thing you've got. Um, yeah. To, to, cut out, to cut out blades. And again, it's not very quick, um, but, you know, your tolerances are obviously very tight. Yes. And so, you know, I, I've actually been talking with the guys on Practical Machinist, trying to work out what my, my next generation of process looks like, you know? Mm. Um. And and the way that I make knives right now is pretty complicated. And part of the reason that it's complicated is because I'm trying to get a finished part that, you know, when so when I say finished part, I mean the blade, really, that's, that's perfect in terms of dimensions on every surface. Mm. And that means that I have to, like, move it from fixture to fixture so I can hold onto it in different ways so that I can machine different parts, you know? Yeah. But if you're willing to accept some hand finishing, like, you know, for, for you, you're already doing so much hand finishing that this probably wouldn't be a big deal. Um, you know, if you were willing to accept some hand finishing, then you can use what's called like the tab, the tab method, you know, like kind of what you do with your, your handle scales already. Yeah. You could take a piece of steel and machine it from one side to do your bevel and your, your handles and whatever, and then flip it, machine the second side of the bevel and everything. And then cut out the outline and leave tabs, and then just break it out of the tabs and hand finish the finish edges. Those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you know that's that's pretty easy, relatively speaking. Um, and honestly, I wouldn't discourage you from trying it. Would that speed up your process like dramatically? I I don't know. I, you know, the problem is that then I'd have to be. Um, matching handle scales to blades all the way through the process. Yes, yeah. Right, because I'd be having to hand finish them together. Um, and I can't do the hand finishing after DLC. Like, I have to do all the hand finishing before DLC. So I'd be hand finishing these two parts together, then marking them, you know, A, B, whatever. Um, then sending the blade off for DLC and keeping the handle scales put aside. And then they'd have gotcha, to come back yeah. and get matched up. And then if there's something wrong with that blade, then that handle scale is like scrap. Um, mm, yeah. So, so, so what is that? You, I mean, you mentioned you know 
that's what you're trying to find out what the next big process is what, yeah. what is that going to be then um my the the idea that's stuck in my head for years and i don't really know whether this is a good idea or not i'm actually like going through the process of finding out right now and there's a, a lovely guy on practical machinist marcus who i've talked to a few times he runs a company called implemex in bc and they do um medical machining um as as kind of his mainstay and he machines some like ridiculously tiny parts you know like two bits of sand on your fingertip and it's and it's like it's a part you know mm, yeah um so the idea in my mind is that i would take a, a rectangle of steel fully harden it then put it in the machine in a, a kind of a generic fixture that's just designed to hold rectangles and i'd machine one side of the blade you know, the handle, the bevel, everything down into this piece of steel. Mm. Um, flip it, machine the other side. You're kind of like you, you know, basically doing everything that you would to machine something with tabs, except not touch the outline at all. I'm not going to cut it out. I'm right. just going to machine the two sides into this, this piece of steel. And then the interesting thing about doing that is that all of your edges of the profile are still, they're not machined at all. So I could theoretically put that in my tumbler. Um, you know, my vibratory finisher and, and have the vibratory finisher f do some finishing work on the bevels without rounding over any of the corners of the knife because the corners don't exist yet. Mm, yeah. And then after that, I could take it and put it in. There's a really cool machining process called wire EDM. So EDM stands for electrical discharge machining, and it's basically yeah. using tiny little sparks to chip away at the material um, and it's it's very very accurate. It it doesn't produce any heat. Um, so you know theoretically you've got this this blade you know frozen in carbonite like hand solar, and you're gonna cut it out right. Um, and you know if you could just use wire EDM to to zip around the outside, then that'd be amazing. And when I say zip, the problem is that wire EDM is really slow. Right. I, I, I have actually used, well, not me personally, um, but I, the way I know of that process is from having um, custom mosaic pins mm. uh, built mm -hmm. for me in the past. Um, so if you imagine a pin on a knife, my normal mosaic pins, I'd simply put rods down into the, into, you know, into the, into a pipe yep. um, and fill that with resin. Um, but if you can see quite often you see people with patterns in their pins, um, I know you know. Sorry, I'm just explaining for the no, no, listeners fine, who don't who don't make knives. Um, the yeah, people have you know maps, or they'll have a, an animal, or they'll have initials, something like that. Um, obviously, you know something that small, carving by hand, would be <laughs> virtually impossible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so they use um, EDM, which which isn't electronic dance music. Um, it is yeah, using this 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 wire, if you like, to uh, to, to cut you know super super fine. So. So you're saying you'd use that for the profile then, the, the, the outer edges of, of the knife. Yeah, and, and so this theoretical process, this, this grass is greener on the other side of the road process, has a ton of advantages. You know, like I said, I can do more vibratory finishing um, because I don't have to worry about rounding over corners because the corners don't exist yet. Mm. Um, I can use like one size of material and I don't have to make custom fixtures for every type of knife that I want to make. I can make changes much more freely because all of the changes are just programming because the fixture is just a rectangle. You know, yeah. It's not like knife shaped in any way. Um, and then I don't get any burrs, you know, because there's no machine through. Yeah. 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 Um, 
and because you know right now the the probably one of the things that limits my my surface finish the quality of my surface finish is my fixturing you know there's there's tons of places where it kind of chatters a bit and that that leaves you know a little bit of a fucked up surface finish or there's like a little dimple because the blade's moving in one part you know mm. Machining them this way, it would be fully supported the whole time, you know, best possible support. So I'd be able to get like the best possible surface finish. Um, it just it sounds to me like it has a lot of a lot going for it, and you know, the, it also sounds very expensive. <laughs> in terms of the wire EDM, yeah, but I mean, with everything else, it's it's cheaper. Hmm. Um, yeah. Except for material, there would be more wasted material. Mm. But what sort of cost would you be looking at for um, the wire EDM machine there? <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, I've been looking at this for a while. Like, you can find wire EDMs for six grand. You know, it's, it, they're not crazy in terms of mm. used ones. But the issue is that they're, they're very electronic machines. You know, it's not like they're a CNC mill where they're very mechanical. You know, there's lots of mechanical bits. They're, they're very electronic machines. Yeah. And... And that six thousand dollar EDM is going to be from like the eighties, um, so it's going to have a bunch of circuit boards in it that you can't get replacements for, and they're invariably going to die at some point, and then you're going to end up with a boat anchor. Mm. You know, so yeah, and buying one new. Part of the issues with wire EDMs is that because they're slow, they've kind of found a niche for really, really accurate machining, like. You know, microns. Yeah. Um, so every wire EDM is basically built to machine to microns, which means I, you know, I don't need to machine to microns. I, you know, a ten micron, fifteen micron tolerance in this case would be fine. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm paying for the capability to machine two microns, even though I don't Got need you. it. You know. Yeah. So yeah, you're. It's easily over a hundred grand for a new Oof. wire EDM. Oof. I can't imagine how... I, I sort of see how they work, but I can't imagine how they look. The way I'm thinking <laughs> of this is almost like a bandsaw blade just coming down straight, yep. and that moves around the piece. Yep. And it, it, can, it can move sort of in, a three, in a 360, whereas, you know, obviously a, a bandsaw would, would always be facing the one way. Is, is that pretty much how it would look? Basically, yeah. And... Um... Yeah, I mean, it, so in a traditional wire EDM, like a standard wire EDM, the, the wire actually just gets used once, and then it gets tossed away. Right. Um, which is a big part of the cost of running them, because, you know, the wire's made of brass, and brass has a lot of copper in it, and copper's super expensive. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it basically is that. It's like a, you know, like a bandsaw blade that's a wire, and then it's CNC controlled, so it's moving the part around in... in 2d um yeah and one of the things that adds to the cost of of most wire edm machines is that they're actually not 2d they can do um they have what's called a y and a v axis i think those are the right ones don't don't quote me um but they can tilt the wire like left and right and back and forth ah um, but like, uh, I don't need that either. <laughs> no, exactly. That, that's adding an extra 70 80 grand on top of it. Yeah. yeah exactly so there are um there are some machines that are really popular in China and don't really get seen much in North America. And those are called, they call them fast wire EDMs. Um, so rather than using brass wire, they use molybdenum wire. 
which is more expensive, but it's much more heat resistant, so it lasts for longer. And they right. actually recycle it. So they kind of, they have like a big spool of this wire, and then they kind of um, reel it back and forth through the cut, reusing it many, many times. Ah. Um, like pretty much like those <laughs> those horrible things I used to see in 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 bathrooms in restaurants and so on. You know, where you pull on the towel and it goes round in a loop and it yeah. comes back to you. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, seriously, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and you know, those machines are designed just to cut up and down. They don't have the tilting axis. They're designed for looser tolerances. Um, yeah, yeah. So theoretically, they're perfect, but there's so few companies selling them in North America. I only know of one. Mm. Um, and they're a lot less expensive. They're like 30 grand US. Um, but I did find the manufacturer in China that makes them, and I talked to them, and they said like, oh, 15 grand. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know. I, special deal. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know, man. Like, I have thought about it. I do continue to think about it. You'll have a weekday one day and you just go, oh, bugger it, yeah, I'm going to get one of those things. <laughs> I hope, I hope mm. not. I, well, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I hope so. I, I don't know. You know, if it's the right thing, then it's the right thing. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, any more engineering news? What's, what's been going on this week? Oh, the SpaceX Starship finally mm. flew. It went up and it was beautiful. And it, so basically they were testing a bunch of uh, aerodynamic systems so that it can do this crazy belly flop landing thing. It, mm. it basically like lies on its side and it has little wings that it kind of uses like a skydiver's arms to stabilize itself as it's falling through the atmosphere. Um, but all of that was just computer modeled until now. So they sent this thing up to, to go do it for reals, which is nuts. Amazing. So yeah, that the it launched, it went up, it did the belly flop, it was amazing, and then as it came down to land, um, it spat a lot of really interesting green flames out of the bottom, and one of the engines didn't relight, and then it uh, landed a little hard and went kablooey. <laughs> landed hard, blew up. Yes, yeah. So apparently, like the there was like insufficient pressure in one of the fuel tanks. And that meant that it was just feeding liquid oxygen into one of the engines, which meant the engine started eating itself and then it couldn't relight. And then it blew up a bit. Oh, jeez. Jeez. But they don't, they so don't is care. This a, that was... Is this a SpaceX thing? Yes. Yes. It is right. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So, and, but they don't care. Like that was a successful test as far as they're concerned. Um, they just wanted to see the, the belly flop stuff. Right. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's just amazing. So cool. It, it it blows my mind that I mean, <laughs> it sounds like we're going to go like a Joe Rogan show now, man. It blows my mind. You look <laughs> up at the stars, you see all these. But uh, yeah, the fact that you know things are happening, you know, up there, thing you know, there's, there's people on space stations and there's people going by yeah. daily daily life in this weird environment. It's just mental. Seriously, it's so mm. cool. So cool. Yeah, so I, I honestly, like, I, I lost a bit of productivity sitting there waiting for the live stream. You know, come on, come on. Right. Super excited about it. So I wish I'd been there. That, that, that's one of my bucket list things is to go see a launch. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Just, yeah, just the sheer, sheer sound and, uh, yeah, I'm sure you feel a vibration. You'd, you'd be so visceral, you'd feel it all. Yeah. Wowzers. Um. um what, what do you want to do next? We, we had one, one um, listener write in and ask us a question, which is amazing. 
Really? Yeah. Um, Who was that? Uh, so it was Van Winden Peter on Instagram. Um, basically said that he has been machining wood for a long time um, at his job, but he wants to start a CNC business of his own. And he was asking if we had any small business tips. Business tips. <laughs> I'm the wrong man for that. Jeez. What, you don't run um, a business, Craig? I do, but um, not very businessy. Yeah, right. I'm a <laughs> little bit the same. When people look at, at what I do, you know, yeah. I, I, like I've had people look at some of the stuff that I'm, you know, not shipping, that I'm re- rejecting, and they're like, are you fucking crazy? Yeah. I'm sure for like a business analyst come into my workshop and they're like, well, what are you doing today, Craig? I'd be like... Whatever seems fun at the moment. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I know right. I've got to do this bit, but that could wait till maybe Thursday afternoon because I want to try doing this. And they're like, "Well, that, that's not the way to run a business." Um, right. But I mean, saying that, I've been doing, I've been watching so many videos on, um, you know, CNC routers. Um, whilst I've got this huge buyer's remorse, I've been watching loads of you know different types, and you know there's so many actually there's there's a really good sort of community on YouTube of of makers with with, with CNC routers you know sharing a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are making signs. Um, so um, Peter has said that you know he does a lot of woodwork. Um, a lot of them are making signs, and I think particularly around the sort of holiday seasons, you know that's probably a very valid business. And I think Etsy is the place where you know you people are selling a lot of that kind of thing um but with regards to business tips uh, yeah yeah i'm I'm not the right man (laughs) well it's interesting because peter says that um he basically he figures he'll try a whole bunch of things out and see what he enjoys making and see if anything takes off and honestly Mm. i don't think that that's a bad plan um you know so i mean before i made knives i made pens really yeah and well, turning on a on a little lathe and that kind of thing. Yeah, I was making um aluminum pen, um on a little metal lathe. But yeah, you know, like, um, you have to you have to like what you do. Like, you don't want to spend your yeah. life making some shit you hate. Um, that that just yeah, that's not fun. So, do you know this is such a welcome relief for me because I know I normally do, but I also do rather uh, the Knife Talk podcast, um, and we, we we get tons of questions from from listeners, and a lot of them are um, people who maybe do it as a hobby, and now they want this to be their full time job, right? Um, and they're asking, you know, any tips for that? And we're always the same, you know, make sure you got early bills covered and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we, I always say, make sure you're doing something that you want to be doing that that you love. And um, Jeff, who we've already mentioned here, is the other one. He's like, no, 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 no. You've got to hate what you do. You need to sweat and you need to... <laughs> we, we've got a very different understanding of, uh, yeah. of you know, what work is. And and his work ethic is incredible. You know, he, he, he does so, so much. Um, whereas I'm more a case of, you know, as I say, I'll, I'll wait for creativity to, to strike. Um, and in that... You know, in the rest of the time, I'll be doing a lot of just tidying up and just, oh, I'm just going to try this, see how this works. Right. Um, so it's refreshing to hear you say that as well, that, yeah, you need to you need to love what you do, without a doubt. Yeah, and to be clear, there's days when I fucking hated doing what I do. You know, like, you're just burnt out. You know, you've done, you've done this for a while. You don't want to fucking do it anymore. You don't want to get up in the morning. You don't want to, you know, like, everyone has times like that. Um. Yeah. But for me, at least, like, I need to enjoy what I'm doing because otherwise I just get hideously depressed 
and I want to just, you know, burn the workshop down and go and live on an island or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that, like, it's a, it's a bit of an interesting concept because Peter's saying that he wants to do something with CNC, but he doesn't really know what he wants to do. Um, and I, it sounds like he's in a good position because he, it sounds like he has the CNC background, so he's not going to be having to overcome too much of a learning curve there. Mm, yeah. Um, but yeah, not having an idea of what you want to do can make things difficult. Um, yeah, I, I just find, find a niche that you really like and, and make things and, and see, see what sticks. But I would say in terms of small business tips, you know, like if you're going to go through that process of trying to work out what sticks, then you need to have a lot of runway. Um, so I would say make sure that your fixed costs stay low. You know, don't go out and rent a workshop and get insurance and, you know, all this, this stuff. You know, I'm, I'm not saying don't get insurance, but I'm saying, like, <laughs> you know, don't, don't add a bunch of fixed costs and shorten yeah. your runway um, because, you know, it, when I look at my overall costs of my business, it's kind of amazing over, the, you know, the time that I've been working on it just how much I've burnt in, like, rent and, you know, power and, you know, stuff that, that kind of doesn't really make knives, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I would say be really careful about that. Try to keep your fixed costs low. Um, yeah, be flexible. In the early stages, especially, like, you're going to have to be really, really flexible. Yeah. And... I to add to that, I'd say find a once you've got a rough idea of what you want to be making, or maybe maybe start with what you enjoy making and see if you can turn that into the business. Um, but find a community based around yeah. that, because there's there are communities for everything. And before I started making knives, I, I'd never ever thought there'd be such a community around knife making. Um, but there's you know there's there's even niche communities within that. Um, and they'll they have you know whether it's Facebook groups or there'll be you know podcasts you can listen. But you know get involved in that community and, and be known for the person who does that um, because you know that can help your business you know no end. Yep. Yeah, and the other thing too is you know it's, I'm I'm biased right like uh, when I say this I I think that sharing information and and helping to teach other people is super important. Um, and that's kind of a very new school thing. And, and for me, it comes from open source programming. You know, like you, you do all this work and then you just give it away. And when I started doing that, my dad was like, are you fucking crazy? Like, you know, you <laughs> yeah. spend all this time learning these skills and like developing this, this program or whatever. Like, why are you giving it away for free? You know? Yeah. Um, and the interesting upside of that was that I actually went on to get my first real um, programming jobs in startup companies and stuff because of my open source portfolio. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I was able to really easily demonstrate that I had the skills for the job because I was like, yeah, look at all this work that I've done and given away, you know? Um, and that same philosophy has actually really helped me grow my business because, I, you know, I make YouTube videos showing different parts of the process and most of my customers come from YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. So that's amazing. Most of your customers come from YouTube. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. It's like ninety percent find find my knives through YouTube. Wow. Wow. Um. You know. So like, obviously, now I have like a, <clears throat> a motivation to keep sharing, and that's yeah. fantastic. Like, I 
I don't want to keep secrets. I want to give stuff away, you know? So I, I just, what I was leading up to with that is, you know, if, if Peter finds a niche and develops something interesting for that niche, um, you know, talk about it, like show what you're doing. I, I think that not keeping secrets, like, um, can be a really powerful promotional tool to help people find out about your work. Definitely. Um, Definitely. And, uh, and personally, it kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies when I talk to a company and I ask them a question and they're like, oh, that's proprietary. We're not going to tell you. Yeah. You do sort of think, well, how is this going to work in the long term? Yeah. Yeah. It's, or it's not, particularly it's not if I'm thing. talking to a supplier and I'm like, where does this material come from? And they're like, that, that's proprietary. And I'm like, oh, mm. yeah. I want to know. Which, which, funnily enough, that I, I've made a decision just last week, actually, uh, regard, you know, going forward with regards to my knives and, and sharing. Mm. Um, so we, I see it all the time, um, especially on Instagram, um, other people's work just being ripped off. Right. Um, and I mean, for us, I mean, we make knives. There's only so many ways you can make something sharp and pointy, but if you're a maker, you, you, you know, certain things that are almost unique to a certain person, you know, these little changes that maybe, um, you know, the non-knife maker wouldn't see. Mm -hmm. I think we see, we, we see these little changes. Um, and it's quite obvious when people are being ripped off and what can you do about it? That's, that's the big thing. There's not really much you can do. Um, and I was, I was speaking to a big, um, American company just last week, actually. Um, and I sent them a link to what I thought was one of their knives far, 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 far cheaper, which is available in the UK. Right. And they were like, yep, that's our design. Somebody's ripped us off. And it was like, ah, right. But they were like, what can I do? There's nothing we can do about it. it really isn't. Right. So. I'm thinking I'm just going to embrace that. So a lot of my work is done up front um, with regards to the sort of design work, um, uh, you know, you know, in a 2D CAD, that kind of thing. Um, and, and like you, a lot of my f sort of followers on social media are, are makers themselves. And some may be hobbyists just getting into it. And some, you know, some haven't actually started yet, but it's something they've always been interested in. So I thought, well, if I've done the, the sort of the groundwork beforehand, make it available. So hmm. from from January, all of my knives that I make, I'm also going to be um, making the uh, like the two D drawings available as well. So rather than people have to you know rip off a photo from Instagram and try and trace the shape if they want to rip it off, they can they can just buy it from me. Oh, okay, they can buy the design. It, yeah, so it's not fully open sourcing. <laughs> right. It's more of a business decision more than anything else. Um, so yeah, so they you know for ten dollars they'll be able to buy the uh, you know the the the, the 2d cad file um, and they can then either print that out as a pdf and use that as a profile or, or whatever they want to do um they'll also be able to buy a a blank cutout ready to go as well hmm. so um if you imagine on the website there's there's the knife you can buy the knife which may be xyz or you can buy just the drawing or you can buy the 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 blank or you can buy the blank hardened or you can buy the blank hardened with bevels so at various stages oh, you cool. can buy. So so if people are just getting into it, they're like, well, they, they could pick a stage where they could they could they could choose this knife. Yep. Um. So they they won't be stamped as a chop knife. Um. They will they will they will have um, designed by chop and made by and I'll laser the customer's name into it then as well. Right. Because you've got your the super spine. cool laser and you can do whatever you want. Well, yeah, and this will be across the spine. So you know, if, if they bought one without bevels, they can still grind their bevels. Right. Um, so it's just sort of sweating an asset, I suppose, because, um, for each of the models of knives that I do, I generally get a few hundred sort of laser cut or water jet cut out and they're just sitting here waiting for an order to come through. Right. 
So, yeah, I might as well add value to them. Um, and, yeah, and it's that whole thing of, of sort of sharing what I'm doing because it can easily be ripped off anyway. So why not sort of, I wouldn't say, well, it is profiting, I suppose. It is profiting from, from helping others. Now, I don't really see a problem with that. At the oh. end of the day, I'm not. It's a business. Yeah. You know, yeah. I need to make money. So, so yeah, and leveraging the fact that the most of the people who follow me are makers themselves. Um, it, it probably wouldn't work for everybody because, you know, people have different different followings. I, I hate the word following. It sounds as if you're starting a cult or something. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, hor- it's a horrible word. Um, but, yeah, people who are interested in what I do, a lot of them are other makers. So giving them the opportunity to sort of to build. And it will be interesting for me to see what other people do with it as well. Yeah. Um, we did like a build-along series with, with Knife Talk um, probably about a year ago where I I I drew um a you know the profile of a blade people could download that and they cut it out and we had about 100 people sort of making this this knife along with us each week that's cool and it was really interesting to see how people approached it and I learned from others as well which is, which is always good mm-hmm. so so that's the idea yeah so from January any of my knives you'll be able to buy in any sort of state I suppose I like it man yeah, I'll be very curious to see how it works out. Like, I have people all the time being like, can I buy a blank? Um, you know, can I, whatever, buy a various stage of completion knife? Mm. Um, and and the danger is, isn't that you do want them to finish it badly and for them that then to reflect on you as your work. Yes. Um, but, yeah, I think <laughs> none of my customers who aren't you know knife makers because a lot of my customers are knife makers but let's say like the restaurant trade um you know they're not buying blanks from me and finishing them badly right. i'm gonna worry about that right. um and the people who are buying them and maybe do finish them badly they won't then be selling to my potential customers anyway no. so I'm, I'm not really taking business away from myself i'm just adding an extra pool i suppose yeah yeah and i think it's a bit different too if, if you're like you know, explicitly building that in as part of your business versus like someone buying 20 reject blanks off me and no one really knows that I sell blanks. And then mm. people are selling knives, you know, people are seeing knives that look like mine that are worse, you know, yeah. and they're like, is, is Aaron like drunk today? You're like, what's you know? <laughs> facilitating sort of bad ripoffs? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't particularly want to, to do that, but I think that like explicitly. Yeah, having those levels in what you're selling, it makes a ton of sense. I like it. Hmm. It's something different. And I think, you know, going back to the original question of, you know, tips for small business, I think being able to sort of roll with punches and mm-hmm. be completely flexible is is key as well. Yeah. Um, so many businesses are being sort of overtaken um, by, you know, new and greater ways of doing things. Um, but they, you know, they may have invested so heavily that they can't change or... yeah. Yeah. You know that that's the advantage of being a small maker. You, you can be nimble. You can you can change fast. You can move fast. Yes. Whereas you know bigger bigger organizations, they've got you know five million dollar investment in a machine that they can't leave sitting there doing nothing. Yeah, and I'm actually I'm releasing a video talking about some of this stuff uh, soon, hopefully. Um, but I've worked in a lot. When, of... I, when Aaron says a video soon, he means in a three, four, possibly five months. Oh, fuck off, Craig. <laughs> no, it's actually um, I'm trying to hit a uh, once a month with my videos now. Um, so I've actually got this other video done. It's been done for oh, like right. two months already. It's just sitting there. Um, so yeah, hopefully, probably like right around the end of the year. Cool. And and what what was the subject? Sorry. Um, you bastard. Um, 
<laughs> just just talking about a bit of the context that's happened around me in the business the last couple of years, you know, because there's been lots of changes, and I'm sure that people mm. would be like, why, you know? Um, so just just kind of giving insight into that. But you know, one thing that people probably don't know is that um, you know I've worked in quite a few startup companies. Um, you know, being a, a software developer, that you know, startup companies are one of the ways that you get work. And it's mm. really interesting to see a company, you know, really pushing hard from from the inside. You know, trying to find their market, trying to to find profit. You know, um, and one of the the biggest lessons that I learned from that is it's just a little phrase, and people misinterpret it, but the phrase is fail forward fast. Yes, yeah. Um, you know, and, and so that SpaceX actually do that. They they've adopted the startup motto and they, they say fail fail fast. And people are like, Oh, you can't you can't fail fast, you're just gonna blow everything up, you know, what's what's the point of failing? The the point of failing is to try and see whether something works. You know, because most and of the learn time from it. Yeah. Most of the time shit doesn't work. So I, I say that it's fail forward fast. Um, and the, the forward part just means, you know, learn from, from your mistakes, get, yeah. get through them quickly and, and try the next thing, you know? So yeah, as you said, flexibility is super, super important. Mm. And, and when it comes then to sort of marketing, you've got the same, um, again, going back to the, the original question from Peter, you've, you've got the same tools available to you as multi-million dollar corporations, Wow, um, you know? Well, you know, traditional advertising is isn't. Oh, sorry, you mean working. in terms of advertising? I thought you said meant in terms of CNC machines. Oh no, 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 no <laughs> obviously not. No, no. Um, but you know, getting getting yourself out there as you know, we, we've talked about you know communities and all the rest of yep. it. You've got those same tools available to you as these multi-million dollar corporations have. So you know, use them to your advantage. Yeah, um, and I would say like the biggest advantage as a small small company, small person. You know, we have the same you know, YouTube and, and so on, we have the same avenues, but you have this extra thing of goodwill. Yes. You know, you can... Companies usually pretty clearly have an ulterior motive, like big companies. You know, they're, they're oh, we're going to give you this free thing as long as you, like, say nice stuff about us, you know, or, or whatever, right? If you're a small business, you know, and you can, like, help people out, then, you know, it's nice. It, it feels nice, it makes the world a better place, and it helps engender goodwill amongst your customers and amongst the people around you. And people in turn will be more happy to help you, help your business, you know? So... And you've got that that journey to share then too. Yeah. You know, you're, you're starting out and you've got a whole journey to share, which is what people are interested in. Yeah. And, you know, to me, that whole thing is, you know, try to find sort of almost like, brand ambassadors through your work mm. they'll do the work for you so if you're doing a good job for people and they love what you're all about they're going to be out telling their friends and all the rest of it and they become brand ambassadors for you it's it's you know you're in a very good good place there's no better time to start something i believe yeah just do be very so the brand ambassador thing do be very leery of people who are like i would love to review your thing Please oh, give yeah. me a name. Okay, yes. yeah. you know, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, those people are generally flakes. I've had really bad experiences with with people like that. Um, mm. And yeah, you know, like I don't think, f you know, I have people say nice things about my work, but I don't think there have been that many people that are like going around, you know, helping send other customers my way. Maybe I don't send it. Maybe I don't see it. Um, firsthand because it's happening like in person conversations rather than like mm. on social media. 
Um, but yeah, the other thing is to, you know, if if someone doesn't like your stuff or they're unhappy with you, they'll talk loudly about it. You know, you need to make sure that you look after customers because an unhappy customer will be a very loud customer. Mm. Um, yeah. Especially these days. You know, they have the same tools available as your business does for, for getting the word out. <laughs> yeah. So. But it, imagine, like, you know, at the restaurants, they have all these review apps now, haven't they? You know, mm. you know Yelp and so on. I'm going to leave a bad review. Imagine if makers had that. Imagine if there was, like, a review site for makers. Oh, jeez. I mean, the, there kind of is. Those messages we've had. Please send me one. And um, yeah. otherwise, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a one-star rating. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, jeez. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we, we kind of went all over the place with the, the small business tips there. I think that's something we should revisit. Um, I think so, yeah. yeah. And again, you know, if listeners have a, have anything to add, um, you know, please please let us know because, you know, it, 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 it's a two-way conversation. It's not just me trying to get as much information out of Aaron as possible because <laughs> that's basically the way the show is going. Do you want me to wipe your ass for you too, Craig? <laughs> God, so many questions. So many questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I will but, say just, you know, this shit's hard. Like, starting a business is hard. Starting a small business is really fucking hard. Um, you know, not to discourage anyone, but, like, you, you think about it, you have to be an accountant, a bookkeeper, uh, you know, supply chain specialist, uh, warehouse, inventory, packaging, and, you know, industrial engineering, uh, you know, like, mm. it, this shit is hard. You have to wear a lot of hats. Um, not just the fun stuff, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, just, just be... One small business tip is, like, be prepared for the hard parts. You know, they're, they're going to happen. There's going to be really shit days. And you have to be able to, you know, come up with strategies for writing that stuff out. There we go. There we go. I think that's a good way to finish the show. I think so, too. We, we've talked loosely about CNC this week. We've talked about water jets and wazers and uh, we talk about EDM fixturing. machines. Yeah. Fixture, yeah. We, co- we covered some stuff, I'm sure. Guys, I'm we sure. talked about CNC. Don't, don't blame us. <laughs> but uh, yeah that's the show we shall speak to you again next week and remember to follow us on Instagram xyz.cnc uh, any questions you've got or things that you'd like to hear us talk about um, that would be really cool yep have a great week guys if you like this show take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options. In stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.